Hello, and welcome to Create You, the personal growth and development podcast that will help you break through to better results in your life, work, and relationships. I'm your host, Jeremy Flagg, and thank you for joining me. According to 2014 statistics from the CDC, in America, there is one divorce approximately every 36 seconds. And much of the most reliable research tells us that almost every single issue in relationships, whether it's finances, intimacy, or even infidelity, finds its roots in poor communication. In fact, poor communication is the number one reason divorced couples cite for breaking up. And that's truly a shame because it's not that difficult a skill to master. That's why today, I'll be starting a four-part series on how to create better communication in your relationships. So if you've ever experienced the pain of having a well-meaning conversation turn into a massive conflict, or have ever had trouble getting your partner to open up and share their soul with you, then you'll want to listen closely as I begin our series by sharing with you the three necessary shifts for having successful conversations before they begin. Hello, creators. Hey, it's your host, Jeremy Flagg, welcoming you back to another episode of Create You. And I just wanted to remind you that when you create you, when you change you, everything around you changes. And that's especially true for what we're talking about this month, which is relationships. Thanks for joining me today. I'm really happy that you're here. And since we're celebrating Valentine's Day this month, and because we're kind of focused on love and relationships in general and our culture, and because I field more questions about love and relationships than almost any other topic, I thought it would be good to spend the whole month of February focused on relationships. So that's why today we're going to be starting a four-part series on how to create better communication in your relationships. Now, I'm a firm believer that most relationships don't suffer from a lack of love. Relationships don't break up because people don't love each other anymore. That's very rare. What is true, though, is they suffer from a lack of skill. They don't know how to communicate what they feel. They don't know how to exchange the information that's going on inside of them. It's making them feel a certain way. They don't know how to communicate. And communication is a skill that everyone can and should learn if they want to have successful relationships in their marriages, in their families, in their friendships, in their careers, so pretty much everywhere, right? When you gain confidence in your ability to create a strong connection with anyone, then you'll be able to influence a better outcome for everyone. Now, I have to admit, it's a bit distressing to hear the marriage statistics that include a divorce in America happening once every 36 seconds, especially with such an easily solvable problem causing most all of the issues. So that's why I'm looking forward to sharing this first lesson with you today in hopes that making these shifts will take your relationship from being stuck and stressed to being calm and connected. If you stick with me over the next four weeks, I promise I'll give you a plan of action that will increase your skills as a communicator and give you the confidence you need to help every conversation succeed. Sound good? I certainly hope so, because this is one of the most necessary components to having any relationship 
last and be loving and be awesome is being able to communicate with one another very clearly, very openly, very positively, and very productively. Communication at its core is simply the ability to exchange information between individuals or groups. That's all it is. But if we live on the planet longer than 30 seconds, we all find out that the quality of that exchange of information varies greatly depending on your skill to do so. So many couples come to a relationship with all kinds of patterns of communication from their families and from their friends and from their personalities, and then they attempt to blend all those patterns into their lives together. But that doesn't always work. In fact, if the statistics are to be believed, that only works around 50% of the time. So what if I were to tell you today that most conversations are won or lost before they've even begun? And that it's the posture of your mind that wins or loses the battle before it even begins. I've got a story for you to illustrate this and then we're going to talk about the three shifts that are necessary for you to make if you want to have successful conversations. And conversations are the relationship, guys. Conversations are where it's at. If you can't be a good conversationalist, then you can't exchange information. You cannot communicate if you cannot converse. So it's important that we know how to have good, strong, positive, and productive conversations with one another. So when I was a freshman in college, I had a history course that was led by a decorated professor whom I was really eager to learn from. I had studied from uh, the website online, who you know what he was about. Uh, I had uh, you know heard from other students that he was fabulous, and I was really looking forward to taking his history course. And during our first class, he handed out the syllabus, and we began to digest what you know what he gave us. It was like three or four pages of syllabus. We're reading through it, and he's sort of giving us an overview. And as we're all reading it. And we're learning how the class is structured. We realized, as we're reading the syllabus, that starting the next week, student reports were due, and we all were supposed to give oral presentations that would drive all of the class time for the rest of the semester. So basically, we had one week of lectures. We only had two classes. And then for the rest of the semester, we were all just student-led presentations about history. So I was a little confused about this. I was only 17 when I went to college. I was a little insecure about you know things and about how the how life worked and all that stuff that we go through when we're growing up. And and so I was, but I had boldness. That was part of my personality, as you might already know if you're listening to this. Uh, if you know me at any level, you know I'm a pretty bold person. Um, so you know, I just raised my hand and I just asked him after he called on me. I said, "Hey, so there won't be any lectures." No tests, right? I mean, I was a little confused, so I asked it that way. And this was his response, and I'll never forget it. It's pretty much verbatim. He responds by looking at me and says, yes, that's correct. If that's a difficult concept for your jock's mind, then I'll understand if you want to drop my course. (laughs) Oh, well, well, well. I was not happy about that reaction. And you see, you got to know something about him before we get going. All he knew about me was from, you know, his paperwork. And his paperwork filed 
from my soccer coach, because I played university soccer, was filed with every class that conflicted during any practice times or games for the for the semester. And his class was one of them. So I had a weekly conflict on the last half hour of his class on Thursdays only because I was playing soccer for the university and that's when we had our practice. So my coach had put in you know, a uh, scheduling sheet to make sure that my professor knew that I had to leave. And he read this on paper, knew who I was in person because, you know, of us meeting and then had, you know, assimilated the information that I was just a dumb jock. But what he didn't know about me was that I was not about to roll over and take his, you know, abuse of authority in this moment and be humiliated and just take his crap and and be okay with it. So I got up. I literally stood up. I'll never forget it. I was I was just a freshman in college, stood up. I was I was probably scared. I mean, I was scared. I remember being scared. I mean, looking at all the other students looking at me, thinking, man, there's no way I'm gonna let this go. So I stood up and I told him straight up, I said, Look, I'm happy to drop your clash because you're not even teaching. And I marched right out of the room. Now, I was reacting as well because I was humiliated and I felt disgusted with what had just happened. Now, he yelled something at me down the hall. I don't even remember what it was at this point because I was just so, you know, how when you get into a reactive state and you just start freaking out and you don't know, you know, what people are saying anymore. I was infuriated. I was so upset. I remember grabbing my backpack and I walked out and I was walking down the hall, walking down the steps uh, from the top floor, walking down to the uh, to the lobby of the building. And I decided I was just going to march right over to the dean of students. I'm just going to march from from the building I was in over to the administrative building. I was going to go straight to the dean of students and let her know how unhappy I was because, hey, I was paying for this education. I didn't have to put up with this stuff. So I went over to the administrative building. I mean, every single step through the quad, I was getting more and more pissed. And when I finally arrived, I was greeted by a secretary who asked me who I wanted to see. So I had to dial it down a little bit because, of course, she didn't deserve me being angry, but it was obvious that I was. And she kindly asked me to sit, and then she went and got the dean of students, who was who I asked for. Now, I went to a uh, former Catholic university who still had a lot of Catholicism uh, as an influence in the board culture and in the leadership culture. So I had a sister... Patricia Throw as the Dean of Students. I'll never forget her, and I'll never forget her smile, her face, her warmth, ever. I'll never forget her. And she dropped everything in that moment, whatever she was doing, and she met with me just because I walked into the office. So immediately, I felt like she understood me, and she understood the gravity of what I was dealing with. And I don't think I'll ever forget her just because of this one meeting that we had and I was a freshman and I was insecure and I was scared and I was fearful and I was I was humiliated and I was angry and it was all those things and even though it was obvious that I was mad as hell because I don't hide my feelings very well um, she was so warm and she was so inviting and I remember her just looking me in the eye and saying please just sit down and, and tell me what happened so I sat down and I told her what happened. I told her the story and how humiliated I felt and how I felt so diminished in the classroom in front of my other students and my other classmates and in front of the prof- and how the professor made me feel. And I just all I wanted to do was file a complaint and drop the course. Simple as that. I wasn't going to continue going. 
Um, and you know, she challenged me at first. She wanted to make sure that you know it was the decision that I wanted to make, but she never minimized my decision. She never made me feel like it wasn't the right one. She just said it was the decision I was making, and she assured me that I was taking the proper steps according to the story that I'd given her to complain about the professor, and she helped me file the complaint that day, and she even took care of making sure that she got the professor's signature so that I didn't have to go back and get it from him in some you know magnificently awkward moment. Um, so that I could drop the course. And I don't think I'll ever forget just how calm and how collected and how connected and empowered she made me feel while I was in her office. And now all these years later, I know her secret. I know the secret that helped her transform that ridiculously reactive, angry, you know, bubbling over, infuriating red line moment for me into one that became much more calm and much more sincere and much more connected and centered. I know her secret. And I told you that story because the way that the history professor communicated with me made a serious impression on me in a negative way. But the way Sister Throw treated me and communicated with me made a mark on my heart that can never be erased. And if you want to have that kind of positive and life-changing influence like she had in my life with the people that you love and that you care about, then you need to know this secret. She started our conversation before I ever showed up. She knew that positive and productive communication begins before you even speak. She had made the three necessary shifts for having successful conversations that I'm going to share with you right now. And here they are. Shift number one. Treat everyone as a person instead of an object. Treat everyone as a person instead of an object. You'll recall in my story that the history professor saw nothing of who I was as a human being. He just depersonalized me into an object. He saw me as a student first, not a person. And he specifically saw me as a problem that needed to be fixed or solved or eradicated. He saw me as a problem in his classroom because I asked a question. He perceived it as a challenge to his authority, but in reality, all I was doing was asking a very sincere question. When I say that communication begins from within, then this is what I mean. Our commitment to seeing another human being and agreeing never to depersonalize them into an object happens before we even begin the conversation. And even when we're experiencing a tidal wave of emotional information that's coming from all angles that might make it really a lot easier for us to turn them into something less than human, we can still manage to allow this guidepost to be our true north in communication. We must accept, realize, and agree that we have to shift and treat everyone as a person instead of an object. So the most common ways that I've identified that we objectify others is as four things, as problems, as possessions, as projects, and as prizes. So we see others as problems when we perceive that they are being difficult or they're acting as an obstacle to getting and getting in the way of what we want to do or that we want to achieve. And this is the most common form of objectification because when people are getting in our way, we see them as a problem that needs to be fixed. And when we see them as a problem, we're no longer seeing them as a person. 
Another way uh, we see people is as possessions. As possessions. And that usually happens when we think that we own their lives, that we own their person. This happens most commonly in parent-child relationships now, when the parent believes that they own their child instead of guiding them and managing them and leading them. They're owning them, and then they dishonor their personal will. They make all their decisions and choices for them. Uh, They step right over their boundaries all the time. They abuse their authority. That's when uh, a, a child can feel owned, and they just have no identification of their own, and they have no individuation. They need that. Of course, this is also, you know, seeing people as uh, you know, possessions instead of as people, instead of as human beings, is also the root of every human effort to enslave others. Uh, so any form of slavery that happens, which is obviously continuing to happen today with sex slavery uh, throughout the globe, it's truly bringing out the ugliest in us. And it's only because people are depersonalizing and objectifying other human beings into possessions. So problems and possessions, and the third most common way we objectify others is as projects. And this happens most often in spousal relationships, but it can easily take place in workplace and parental relationships as well, where one party believes that they can work on and fix and improve the behaviors and character of the other. I'm sure that doesn't sound familiar at all. So (laughs) problems, possessions, projects, and then the fourth way that we commonly objectify others is seeing them as prizes to be won. And this usually takes place when we value only what someone can do for us, like uh, give us money or please us sexually or keep us from feeling lonely, among many other things. So it's easy to objectify someone and treat them as less than a human being and objectify them instead of seeing them as a person with hopes and dreams and ideas and thoughts and beliefs and values and all of the same things that we have inside of us. And whenever we objectify anyone in our hearts, then our conversations will be filled with the energy of our inner posture, of our mind's posture. So in my story, you'll recall that the history professor, he treated me as less than in order to elevate his own importance and to exercise his authority. And that created this really bizarre, humiliating moment that I would care to forget, but I can't, right, because of the way it made me feel. Uh, But I'm also certain that it lessened his opportunity to influence the class, and we'll talk more about that in a second. Because as far as the uh, seeing someone as a person or an object goes, depending on what you see, your expectations of the outcome will shift dramatically. Depending on what you see, whether it's a person or an object in front of you, the, the expectations of the outcome will shift dramatically. So you have to keep your eyes on the prize, keep your eyes on people as people, humans as humans, always treat them as personal and human and never devalue and depersonalize anyone into an object. Because as soon as you do, they will feel it, they will feel the resistance of it, and they will react and resist in return. So shift number one, treat everyone as a person instead of as an object. Shift number two, stay curious about the outcomes instead of assuming the conclusions. This is a big one. Stay curious about the outcomes instead of assuming the conclusions. So you've heard the old adage, when you assume, you make an ass out of you and me. (laughs) Well, it's an old adage because it's true. You know, when the history professor in my story concluded from his paperwork, 
and his scheduling conflict paperwork that I was nothing but another dumb jock instead of just seeing me as a person and staying curious about the depth of who I was, it made us both look bad. I was hurt because I'd been judged wrongly, and whether or not he knew it, his ability to influence the class had been greatly diminished because of what they witnessed was the way he communicated with me, which they could now expect from him if they challenged or asked him any questions in the classroom. You know, assumptions in general are our way to shortcut the hard work of getting to know what's really happening in our world and in the worlds of others. And empathy is what we're really talking about here because when we make assumptions, we cut off our ability to empathize with others. Empathy is really just the ability to understand and appreciate where someone else is coming from or understand and appreciate someone else's world. And when you make an assumption, you no longer have the luxury of understanding them because you're assuming the conclusion of what you're seeing and you're judging them in the moment from the reaction that you're having with what you're being presented instead of staying curious about where the outcome might be or where it might take you and steering it in another direction, staying curious about what you just don't know. You know, if you want to increase your ability to communicate more positively and with a better outcome quickly, just remember this. Stay curious in your conversations. Stay curious Simple as that. If you got to write it on your hand, put it on your forehead so you see it in the mirror, make a reminder on your phone, whatever you got to do, stay curious. Just be humble enough to admit that you don't know what you don't know. You only have a piece. You're only seeing a part. There's a big hole. You're only in the frame, so you can't see the whole picture, yada, yada, yada. There's so much more to life than what we're seeing, what we're perceiving, what we're what we have a hold of as the facts and the figures and everything that's going on around us. There's just so much more that we can see. And one of the worst things you can do in communication to shut it down and to kill it is to assume the conclusion of what you think is happening instead of staying curious about the outcomes because one of the absolute worst feelings you can create in any conversation, in any relationship, in any connection, is the feeling of judgment. Because when someone feels that you've judged them, then you've lost the ability to influence them. Let me say it again. When someone feels that you've judged them, then you've lost the ability to influence them. So if you want to stay away from that, then stay curious and stay aware that there's always more to the puzzle than the piece you're currently holding. All right, that was shift number two. Shift number one, treat everyone as a person instead of as an object. Shift number two, stay curious about the outcomes instead of assuming the conclusions. And then shift number three, always keep things general instead of making them personal. Always keep things general instead of making them personal. This is huge. When did the history professor decide to treat me poorly through his communication? When did he decide to treat me that way? The answer is before he even met me. Because of his insecurities about his ability to lead the class effectively and his beliefs about his students in general, he reacted to my specific question with disgust and lashed out at me in a personal way 
which is the way, by the way, that he perceived my question. He perceived my questions as an attack on him personally, so he lashed out in a personal way. See, when we take things personally, the inevitable consequence is that we'll end up defending ourselves and attacking the character of the other person. And then we'll end up feeling hurt and wounded. We may even just shut down and withdraw from the conversation altogether. So keeping things general is important because when you keep things general, you can realize that the conflict that's happening only happens within people, not between people. Mm, That was good. I'm going to say it again. Conflict only happens within people, not between people. If someone is upset, you don't have to get upset with them. And you don't have to suppose that they're upset with you. Because you're just supposing. You're, you're, you're not keeping things general. You're making them personal. Go back to shift number two. You're concluding, you're assuming that they are mad at you. When in fact, they could just be mad in general. I call it P-I-G, pissed in general. And I use it often with people that are close to me. Hey, are you just P-I-G? Because that's the thing. We can just be pissed in general and be angry in general with life and the moment and the emotions of what's happening and feeling overwhelmed and, and overworked and not rested. And then we just lash out at the person that's closest to us. Now, we, if we are receiving this, we have options. We have options. We can keep things general instead of making them personal. Because the likelihood that the conflict that you're experiencing is actually about you is very, very slim. Usually, it's always about what someone else is feeling from within. Remember, conflict only happens within people, not between people. Their moment is not your moment. And as beautiful, I mean, as the beautiful example of Sister Patricia Throw showed me and hopefully showed you through the recounting of my story, is this. When you keep things general instead of taking them personal, then you empower those around you to take action to change their emotional state and to take action to create the moment that they want to have, to take control of their direction again, take control of their life. That's the gift you can give someone in communication when you keep things general instead of making them personal because conflict only happens within people, not between people. So if you're experiencing conflict, it's because it's within you. And you should also know that if you're feeling the conflict, it's something within you. It's your expectations of the situation. It's the way you feel about it. It's the way you're believing about it. It's your values that may be being clashed with in this moment. But just realize it's something conflicting within you, not caused by the person that's across from you. Remember, they're a person and they have values different from you and they have beliefs different from you. They have behaviors different from you. They have different thoughts, different feelings, different actions. They va- they just see things differently, different perceptions. If we see them as assaulting us, if we see them as, uh, if we take something personally, then we're going to see them, instead of as a person, we're going to see them as an object. And as soon as we see them as an object, we're going to start judging them and assuming conclusions based on the way we feel about them. And it's going to ruin our ability to communicate and influence uh, the situation and to connect with them in any meaningful way. So let's summarize what we've learned today because it was a lot, right? 
Communication. Number one thing we learned today, communication is the key to every successful relationship and the reason for every failed one. Therefore, relationships are suffering from a lack of skill and not from a lack of love. Posit- and that's a, good, that's a good thing, by the way, because that means we can increase the skill, we can learn how to do it, and we can make things better. Ne- next thing we learned, positive and productive communication starts before you speak, and the posture of your heart is what provides the emotional energy for the conversations that you're having with someone. And then we learned about the three necessary shifts for having successful conversations before they begin. And they are shift number one, treat everyone as a person instead of as an object. Shift number two, stay curious. Stay curious about the outcomes instead of assuming the conclusions. And shift number three, always keep things general instead of making them personal. So I hope you enjoyed this. That's it for Communication 101. Be sure to join me next Thursday for 102, where we'll be covering the most common conversation killers and how to avoid them. And remember, that's important because the conversation is the relationship. Conversations happen in business. They happen in marriage. They happen in families. They happen in friendships. They happen everywhere. And if you're living, you're having conversations with others, and you may be killing them. So I want to show you those mistakes, and I want to show you how to avoid them. So be sure to subscribe to the podcast and iTunes, Stitcher, or SoundCloud to receive all of these cool episodes coming up. And come on over to uh, JeremyFlag.com, episode 42, and share your answer to this question. JeremyFlag.com slash episode 42. Share your answer to this question. What is the most important shift for you to make right now, and why will it help your ability to communicate? I would really love to hear your thoughts on this, and I cannot wait to read your answers. So be sure to click the link in the show notes or head on over to the website. And if you enjoyed this podcast, then be sure to share it with all your friends on social media. And please consider taking just 30 seconds of your time to rate and review the show in iTunes. When you tell everyone you know how much you loved it, then more people will be able to have the edge in their communication that you have just been given. So as we close this episode today, I'm going to leave you with one of my favorite, I mean absolute favorite quotes about communication from the great Maya Angelou, who said this, people will forget what you said, people will forget what you did, but people will never forget how you made them feel. I find that to be absolutely true and a perfectly powerful way to end Communication 101 today. Have a breakthrough day, my friends, and I will talk with you again soon. Thanks for listening. For more tips about how to create the life, work, and relationship you love, just head over to jeremyflag.com where you'll find lots of free resources and notes from this episode. And don't forget to share your comments with me. I'd love to hear your voice. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave a review for me in the iTunes store. If you're listening on Apple's podcast app, just click anywhere on the show artwork to reveal the show notes and click the link that says, please rate and review the show in iTunes. Your feedback is appreciated. If you'd like to continue the conversation, 
then please like me on Facebook or follow me on Twitter and be sure to use the hashtag CreateU. I'd love to hear from you. Thanks again for joining me today on CreateU and be sure to check in with me next time when I'll be back with another life-changing episode. You won't want to miss it, so be sure to subscribe in iTunes, Stitcher, or SoundCloud to get free delivery of every show. Until next time, this has been Jeremy Flagg, reminding you that you are a creator. You don't need to react to life as it happens to you because you have the power within you to create the life you love today. Now go and create you.